Hey folks, welcome back to Intelligent Living. Thanks for joining the podcast, where we have discussions about all things relating to life. You know, through science, we've learned so much about life and how to live it well, so why is it that we tend to live so foolish? Well, it's time to use that science so that we can live life with some intelligence. We can live longer, happier, more purposeful and productive lives for ourselves and for others. And this is called Intelligent Living. So here we're going to learn, laugh, live, last, and love. Thanks for joining the conversation. Appreciate everybody being here this morning, and uh, just so you know, the guys have been working on expanding. We got room for like 30 more people back there. We got the TVs. It took money, took time, took hours, set everything up properly. We got the right TVs now. We got the right wiring, so you can sit back there also. So if you're watching, we got plenty of room, and uh, if you're worried, just go get vaccinated and come. Uh, but anyway, no, we you know we still need to be safe, and so I have my mask. And there's my mask, so. I'll be wearing it after, but um, I appreciate everyone that's here. It's Easter, and I just got a message from the Lord. It's the next Sunday's Easter, too, so I hope you all come back. <laughs> Two Easter's in a row. <laughs> How'd you get such a good tenants, Carrie? Well, I just called Easter twice. <laughs> it works every time. You know, yesterday morning, I had a text from my in-law, and I got a text from my pastor, his mom passed away. A text from Monica, who goes to the Orange Church. Her niece yesterday passed away. Then Sunil's uncle and his sister passed away. And it was boom, but like four, just in a short amount of time. And I thought, you know, I know how we all are. We're Christians. I get that. But, you know, I'm sick of all this death. I'm just tired of all this death. But as a Christian, it's ironic. All the death, we know there's life. In death, there's life. And so this morning, I'm going to preach about the resurrection called Agents of Resurrection. I'm going to talk about it, and I'm going to hopefully, I'm just going to go a little bit slower than I, because I have a tendency, I can get going, as you can tell. Sometimes it's that espresso, just kidding. Um, espresso doesn't do nothing for me. I went into the coffee shop a while back here, and I was just saying, man, I got to stay awake. And so I said, give me the strongest thing you got. He said, all right. He said, what's well, a cold brew, man? It's strong. I said, okay, what's the biggest cup you got? He said, well, it might, you might. You die, sir. I said, well, give me the biggest cup. I said, I don't want no ice in it. Straight cold brew is like a huge cup. I drank it, went home and took a nap. I'm a lost cause. I honestly did. The guy goes, what happened? I said, it's great to take a nap with. But anyway, so I'm going to talk about the resurrection, but I, I do want to take time to read some verses. And I want you to listen to these verses. It's so easy Easter service, you're coming. I don't know where your mind's at this morning, but I want you to really think about the verses, the Bible. The Bible, it's everything. It's the Word of God. It's how we live our life. And if you listen to the words of the Bible and you take them in and really think about what, what the Bible says, then you and I will be very encouraged this morning. You and I will walk out of here saying it's going to be okay because the truth is it's going to be okay for all of us if you're a believer. So called Agents Easter, Agents of Resurrection. As the story goes, actually before I even read that part, um, well, I'll read the story. A seminary student was told by his dean to preach a sermon in the chapel the following day. <clears throat> he had never preached before. It would be his first sermon. He was very nervous and was afraid. He stayed up all night trying to figure out what he was going to preach. But the next morning, he didn't have a sermon. So he stood in the pulpit and looked at his classmates, looked at the professor, he says, do you know what I'm going to say? And all the men shook their heads and said, no. He said, neither do I. Service ended, and he said, go in peace. 
the, the dean came up to him and said, listen, I'm going to give you another chance tomorrow. You better have a sermon. So again, he stayed up all night. Couldn't come up with a sermon again. The next morning, he stood at the pulpit and he asked, do you know what I'm going to say? <clears throat> students to, uh, the students uh, nodded yes. He said, then there's no reason for me to tell you. Go in peace. <laughs> now the dean was very angry. He says, I'm going to give you one more chance to preach. You better have a sermon tomorrow. If not, I'm going to ask you to leave the seminary. Again, no sermon came to him that night. So the next morning he got up, stood before everyone. He said, do you know what I'm going to say? Half the students, yes, nodded yes. The other half nodded no. Then he said, those who know, tell those who don't. Go in peace. Our job is to tell those who don't know. Those who don't know Christ has risen. Those who don't know Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is you and I, we give our lives to Christ. It's such a simple message, but it's so powerful. It's radical. You think about just the message. It's the message. It's the message of Jesus Christ coming into human life. You're repenting of your sins. We can't figure it out, but if someone can just say a prayer, like most of us have said, you say a prayer and your life is radically transformed. And sometimes we forget about the power of, of a changed life. We forget how powerful really a changed life is powerful. It really is. And we sometimes, I think we forget about what God does in a moment's time or what he can do. So we're going to read a story in a moment at 1 Kings chapter 17. It's a lady. She's actually a widow. and She has a son. Her son's going to die. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, to, we, to God we are a Rome of Christ among those who are saved and among those who are dying. To some we are a deadly fragrance, but to others we're a life-giving fragrance. And that's what you and I are. People that are lost, you and I have something that they don't have. You and I have we, have, we have a message. We have something that they don't even know it, they don't even know it exists. So let's read the text. First Kings chapter 17. I'm not going to start in verse 17 because I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But this woman has a child. The prophet's name is Elijah. Elijah, uh, make it simple. Uh, this woman has a child. She was supposed to have a child. She has a child. The child has a promise from God. And she has this child, and the child grows up, and one day the child gets sick and dies. Everyone sitting here this morning, if you're a believer or not a believer, I'm sure you have promises and dreams in your life. And for the believer, when our promises and dreams die, there is resurrection. Other people don't have that hope. They don't have anything outside themselves or outside what they think. And so here the child dies, and this is the story, the child dying and the preacher coming and praying for the child, but it has a lot of bearing to you and I this morning. Follow with me. Verse Kings chapter 17, beginning of verse 17. This is the Living Bible Version. <clears throat> then one day the woman's son became sick and died. O man of God, she cried, what have you done to me? Have you come to punish my sins by killing my son? Give him to me, Elijah replied. So he took the boy's body from her, carried it upstairs to the guest room where he lived, and laid the body on the bed, and he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you killed the son of this widow whom I'm staying with? And he stretched himself upon the child three times, and he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, please let this child's spirit return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of the child returned, and he became alive. Verse 23, then Elijah took, uh, took him downstairs and gave him to his mother. See, he's alive, he said. Verse 24, 
Now I know for sure that you're a prophet, she told them. And afterwards, whatever you say is from the Lord. One man said, we shouldn't follow Christ because he's simply exciting, though he is. We shouldn't follow Christ because he heals our brokenness, though he certainly can. We shouldn't simply come to Christ because he can change our life, though he does. And sometimes we, we have, there's a danger, he says, in testimonies that we have to understand he is not true because he changes us, but he changes us because he is true. He changes us because he is true. The Bible says in 1 Peter, praise the Lord, the God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth because of his great mercy. We have been born into a new life and with confidence, which is alive because Jesus Christ came back to life. So we think about Easter. Some people think about Easter, they you see, Easter's, oh, chocolate bunnies, you know, new birth, a new beginning and all that stuff. It's a new day, a new chapter. All oh, that sounds good, but, you know, what does it really mean? What is Easter all about? It's more than bunnies. It's more than just a new birth. It's more than just a new beginning. People don't mind it in, those, in that way, but it has a lot more to do with real life than we think. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So which brings me, you know, you, you think about we do these life labs and... I've heard people tell me this, you know, you learn things about people you didn't know or you hear some testimonies you didn't know about and you listen to that and it's pretty amazing when you hear someone's testimony. In fact, I look at people, I've talked to some of you, you told me how you, what you were like before you met Christ, you told me what you're like now, no different, just kidding. Uh, you told me what you're like now and it's hard to believe that some of you used to do the things you say you used to do. It really is. You know, um, I'm not going to mention names, but you know, people told me they used to be thieves. They do this. They did that. Now they're saved. They're in church. They're married. It's, it's, you look at them and go, it's hard to believe what you're describing to me. You were actually this person before, a drug addict, on drugs, lost, and now you're in your right mind have a job, and someone married you. What a miracle. <laughs> someone wanted you. I know they were blind, but they wanted you. <clears throat> Amazing. Amazing. But we are not called to be agents of reformation. Reformation simply means a reforming. It means to amend someone's ways, faults, or conduct and morals. But we are called, point number one, is only a couple points very quickly. We are called to be agents of resurrection. The word resurrection means the act of rising from the dead, arising again from decay, disuse, resurgence, or rise again. First, First Corinthians chapter 15, it says, I passed on to you what I received is of the greatest importance that Christ died for our sins as is written in the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised to life three days later as it is written in the scriptures. Verse 40 of that same chapter, it won't be up there, but if you're writing note, verse five, then we're gonna to skip to verse 40. Five, six, it says this, that afterward he appeared to Peter, talking about Jesus. This is after he'd been raised from the dead. He appears to Peter, then he appeared to all the apostles. Then Jesus appeared to more than 500 of his followers at once, whom most are still alive, even though some have already died. Then he appeared to James and afterwards to all the apostles. Verse 40. And there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. The body that belongs to the heavenly body is different than the body that belongs to the earth. This is how it will be when the dead are raised to life. When the body is buried, it is mortal. When it is raised, it is immortal. When buried, it is ugly and weak. When raised, it is beautiful and strong. 
When buried is a physical body, but is raised a spiritual body. There is, of course, a physical body, but there is also a spiritual body. When people think about the resurrection, the spiritual body, they assume a spiritual body, you can't touch a spiritual body, but that's not true. When you and I are resurrected, we're going to have a body, and I'll get to that in a moment. It's not just, uh, it's, 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 people think spiritual body, or you're there, but you're not there. No, you have a real body. And in fact, everything we do now, we're going to continue to do, but it will be a different dimension. Again, let me go back to what I said. We are called to be agents of resurrection and not transformation uh, or um, uh, reformation. We're called to be agents of resurrection. And I, I say that because we have a lot of emphasis today on reforming people, which is all good. Some reformation is fine. But listen to what one man said. He's a, a great bishop, and he said this. <clears throat> We have a tendency to forget or confuse what the law and the gospel really is. We tell people on one, we preach about moral improvement, offer strategies for personal growth, uh, personal growth, I like that, personal growth. And we think that is the gospel. We tell people to work for peace and for justice and for environment, to fight racism, sexism. And we think that is actually the gospel. It is not the gospel and it's not the gospel message. Because all it is is reformation. We're telling people to reform your life. It's one thing. You can go hear a seminar on how to make your life better. But if someone gives, doesn't give you the power to make your life better, it's pretty hard. So we're not, we're, we're not talking about reformation. We're talking about resurrection. Being brought back from the dead. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, In the past you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and your sins. John, Jesus says, verily I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and they shall live. Let me tell you what I think is going on today. <clears throat> the phrase when I first got saved, and some of you remember this in your own life many years ago, there used to be a phrase called born again. How do you remember that? It's a phrase you don't hear much anymore. Today you hear people talk about church or going to church you hear things like uh i'm doing better man i'm trying to get my life together i'm going to church now uh praying with my girlfriend regularly um yeah we're living together but we're going to church having a great time um changing some things in my life uh, it's getting a little bit better i'm looking for a change it's all those things are good but you don't hear them talk about i've been born again i've been radically changed and met i met jesus christ and my life's been radically changed you don't hear that very often anymore you hear people talking about going to church finding a church and that's about it and so what's 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 so bad about that well they're not radically changed you have to be born again you need to be born again that's what jesus said but it's a message that's not being heard today and not only not heard there are a lot of people that are not experiencing they're experiencing church but they're not experiencing jesus they're not experiencing a life being changed by God's power. They're not experiencing resurrection life. In fact, what's so sad is a lot of them don't even know that resurrection life is possible. They think they just got to change this and change that and try to be good. How many before you met Christ tried to be good? How long did it last? A day, maybe, a few hours, some of you, a few minutes. Yeah, I mean, you think about, no, no, it's not, it's not what it's about. It's about someone honestly coming before God at an altar. I say just kneeling down before God, not me. You're kneeling before God, and you're confessing your sins, asking Jesus to come into your life and change you. I'm telling you, when you do that, that's the message of the gospel. Christ died, rose again for your sins and my sins. When we believe that message and, and say the prayer, our lives can be radically changed. 
That simple? <clears throat> yeah, when it comes from the heart. When it comes from the heart. And so I'm talking about being born again. Our lives radically changed, experiencing God's resurrection power. And the reason why Christ's resurrection power can, can come into our life is because he's alive. Notice our story quickly. There's a mother's guilt, or you can say a father's guilt, or a teenager's guilt. But one day the woman's son became sick and he died. And she goes to the man of God and she said, what have you done to me? Have you come to punish my sins by killing my son? Psalms 38 verse 4 says, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy for me to bear. The word guilt means feeling of responsibility or remorse or an offense, a crime or wrong, whether it's real or imagined. And I thought, how many people like this mother or how many parents, they live with guilt and they're tormented by it? When something happens in someone's life, you know, I don't care who you are, guilt, it affects saved and unsaved people. And I wonder how many people sometimes that they're, they come to church, but honestly, if you really knew it, they're being tormented by their personal guilt. And whether it's real or whether it's imagined, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're still being tormented. And, and I, most parents, if you're a young person, listen to me. Most parents believe, you know, they, they feel guilt about not being a better parent. They really do. I, I, almost all, all parents I know wish I, you know, I've told my own sons, I wish I could have been a better parent to you, son. I wish I could have done. My sons asked me, how come we didn't do this? And why didn't we do this? I said, well, I didn't have no money to do it. We're just trying to live. Uh, I, wish, I wish there was something. And sometimes you can live with guilt as a parent. You can live with the guilt as a mom, a dad, or grandparent. You can have this guilt. And when things begin to fall apart in your life and you look at it and say, you know, well, like this mom says, it's because of my sin. It's not because of your sin. But sometimes we think that when bad things come our way, you know what? I've, heard, I've had so many people tell me that when bad things come their way. Pastor, I'm just getting what's due me. Christ got what was due you on the cross. The torment of guilt, regrets. And they play over and over in people's minds. And the reason why she says this, I think, to Elijah in particular because most of you have been with me when I've been preaching The Ravens Are Coming, that, that series, The Ravens Have Come and Gone, they're going to come back next week. But The Ravens Are Coming or The Battle of Nothing, you know that what about Elijah. Elijah has spent most of his time pronouncing judgment on nations and on people. He'd call, he's like in 1 Kings 17, we didn't read it. Remember, he says there's not going to be no rain according to my word, because of the sin of the nation. So Elijah is basically the prophet that's speaking for God, going around speaking for God. And he's always pronouncing judgments on God's people because of their sins. And he says so. He said, this, this is what's happening because of your sins. And so I think that she, she knows who Elijah is, and she knows what Elijah stands for, and she knows what Elijah's been doing. And I think she assumes, Elijah, you've been pronouncing judgment on everyone else, the nation and everyone, and now you come to my house, and I guess it just fits that you're pronouncing judgment on me. So she says to Elijah, you, know, you, you come to call out my sins. You come to put this tragedy on my life. The Bible simply says then her son suddenly dies, which makes it worse because you talk to anyone who lives life. When things suddenly happen in her life that are tragic, they're, they're very, it's hard to get over. When her son suddenly dies, when you suddenly lose a loved one, that's very, they say when someone suddenly loses a loved one, you're talking five to seven years to kind of get over it. If someone knows someone dying, at least you can go visit them. You can go talk to them. 
You can make things right, make your amends. But when someone just suddenly dies, all of a sudden, sometimes added to that pain is the guilt. I should have talked to them. I should have called them. I should have did this. I should have been over there. I should have helped them more. Whatever it might be, it goes on and on and on. When suddenly, suddenly he dies, and there she is. She's, she's lost. She's, she don't have it. She's in this place. And, and when someone, if you know someone's going to die, it's, I'm not saying it's ever easy, but it's easier to get over their death. But when it is sudden, it's very difficult. And so I say that to all of us. A lot of people in our church have lost loved ones. Some of us lost very quickly loved ones. We all need to be compassionate towards one another because of that. You know, I, I don't like these just pat answers and just get over it stuff. You know, and unfortunately, I've had a pastor friend of mine. His wife was crying. They had lost a loved one, their family, crying. And people were telling me in the church, pastor's wife, you're a bad representative. You're crying all the time. Just get over it. And he asked me what I thought about it. You think my wife needs, you think my wife's okay? You think she's mental? What do you think? She's always crying about it. I said, I can understand why she's crying. She loved her son deeply. I said, let her cry as long as she wants to cry. And if they're going to complain about her, time to come and talk to you. Let me talk about our fallen world for a moment quickly. When you and I live in a fallen world, <clears throat> things happen. Right? We live in a fallen world, and the truth about fallen world, life goes to death, decay, and back to dust. That's the world we live in. She says to Elijah, basically, you come to judge me, it's your fault because this is going on in my house. You know, it's amazing how people will blame the preacher in the church for problems in their life. Things go wrong. When things go right, hey, my past, my past. Things go wrong. It's your fault, pastor. You know how many times I've heard that? It's my fault. You're crazy? It's my fault you were crazy? My fault you left your wife? My fault you left your husband? My fault? Are you for real? Well, this would be my fault, too, when I slap you. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. Do I want to? Of course. Knock some sense into them. So go down to Walmart, buy a 24-ounce bottle of sense. I didn't know they had that down there, Pastor. Oh, they do. They got a 32-ounce, too. 32-ounce, 19.99 bottle. It's called a sense bottle. So it's death, it's decay, it's back to dust, all of us. And that's the truth about living in a fallen world. Think about what I'm, it's the natural order of things. The natural order of things in a fallen world is it goes from life to death to dust. This building, 100 years from today, you think it's going to be here? It's going to be dust. It'll be nothing. All the great buildings in New York City, L.A., 100, 150 years they all go down to what? They all go down to, to dust. Every one of us, guess what at the end of the day is going to be for you? I know you'll be pretty dust. But you're going to be dust. That's it. Ecclesiastic says, dust we came and dust we go back to. We're just painted up dust. God made man out of mud. Mud with makeup. That's what we are. We're dust. And we go back to dust. We don't like to think about that. Don't vote. Don't, it's Easter, Pat. Talk about life, not death, not dust. Come on. But that's reality. In this world, 
you go from life to death to dust, it's over. Everything we see, everything you see right here will be gone one day, everything. Your house, dust at the end of the day. My granddaughter, um, Hannah, was in her house. My wife's got a curio cabinet. His, all his figurines are beautiful, and she's looking at how beautiful they were. She goes, oh, she's like, oh, I like that, I like this, I like this. No, no, when you die, can I have it? What? Yeah, I just want to know, when you die, can I have all this? I'm going to dust, but let's slow down, right? Everything begins to fall apart. We go from wholeness to brokenness, from life to death. And so that's what's going on right here. And sometimes I've sat down with people. When a tragedy happens, more often than not, than they think right then and there when a tragedy happens, that is something I've done. Have you ever sat with someone who's dying and they ask you, Pastor, is this my fault? You think God's judging me? You know, the truth is, I, you know, we, we don't know, but when you live in a fallen world, we're all going to die. This is a great story. The child's going to be resurrected. But guess what? The child would die again. It brings me to point two. Are you still with me? We have to be a church of resurrected people. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. When Elijah prays for this child, the Bible says he stretched himself upon the child. He prays, cries out to God, God, let the child's spirit return to him. And the Bible says his spirit returns to him. He gets the child, takes the child to the mother. And I want you to notice this. She takes the child to the mother and when she gives it to the mother, the child to her mother, to his mother, she says, now I know that you are a man of God and all the words you speak are from God. I'm going to come back to that. Now I know. How do you know I'm a man of God? How do you know God's at work when you see resurrection life? I'm going to come back to that. So stay with me here. <clears throat> Someone said there is no tragedy that God cannot redeem, no dream even the elusive dream of peace on earth that God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead cannot energize in advance. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And so we all know the world goes from death to life. That's not where we go from. And I want you to understand resurrection. This is very important. We need to understand two simple parts about the resurrection. I say resurrection. I'm talking about resurrection life. When Jesus talks to Martha, Martha, and Mary, her, her brother named Lazarus, he dies. Jesus goes, he dies. He gets sick, the Bible says, and he dies. Jesus goes there to the house, and Martha says, Jesus, if you had just been here, my brother had not died. How many remember that? Then Jesus says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Life is me. The, people follow the light. He is the light. People that know the way, he is the way. I, I am resurrection in life, Martha. She don't understand it because she goes on and says later on, she goes, oh, I know he's going to be resurrected in the last day. He goes, no, you understand. I am the resurrection in life. Then he says, he who dies, if they, if, if they believe in me, they're going to live. And it sounds like a contradiction, right? If you believe in me when you die, you're not going to die, but you believe in me and you live. It's like, what are you saying? Well, there's a lot here. Listen to me. 
First of all, he said, if you believe in me, when you die, you will live. Because if you are a Christian, every one of us will eventually have a, be spiritually resurrected. When I say spiritually resurrected, I'm talking about a new body. And yes, we are going to live in a new dimension. But it is a real body, not some spiritual condition only. It's not just spirit form. The Bible says in the book of Luke, Jesus has been crucified. Rumor has he been raised from the dead. The disciples are in a room, Luke 24. And the reason why they're locked in the room, they're afraid. They're not sure. They just crucified their leader. And now they're afraid. They're not sure what's going on. They're, they're on think about it. They're in the room by them. All the disciples are there. The room, the door's locked, the Bible says. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears. It doesn't say if Jesus went through the wall. It doesn't say that. We don't know. But all of a sudden, he appears. I don't know about you. If I'm preaching right now and Jesus just appeared, I think all of us would be like, whoa. What up, Jay? I don't think we'd do that. I would be, I'd be like, I, I don't know what I would do. Probably, I think, really, if Jesus really appeared, I think most of us would probably just begin to weep with joy. I know what I would do. I, I would think I'd like to see this dude's real. See, is it, is it you real boy? What's up? I don't think I'd do that. But anyway, listen to what it says in Luke 24. While Jesus stood among them, he said, peace with you, peace to you. And the Bible says, and they were terrified. No kidding, Jesus. They're there. They're like, what happened next to us? Jesus shows up. Ah, and he goes, peace. As we said, the Bible says they were terrified. The Bible says they thought they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus says, it's like an obvious question. Jesus asked them, why are you guys afraid? Are you for real? Are you for real right now? Now people talk now. Are you for real right now? Well, am I afraid? Oh, you just happened to show up in a locked room. How'd you do that? You never did that before? He's, boom, he's there. So we don't, we don't know, understand the spiritual body in that sense, how it can moves. We don't know that much, but we do know this much. Jesus says, why are you afraid? And why do you have your doubts? He's, then he says, look at my hands and my feet. I, I said this before. After, the, after Jesus rose from the dead, when you and I get to heaven and we're with Jesus, you will always see the marks on his hands and his feet. That will remind you of the love of God for your life. He says, I'll show you and I'll prove to you who I am. He said, look at my hands and look at my feet. Make no mistake about who this is. This is Jesus. Jesus said, look at my feet, look at my hands. Then he said, this is really me. Then he says, touch me for yourself. You're everyone in here this morning, you got to touch God for yourself. Jesus says, touch me for yourself. Then he says, ghosts don't have flesh and blood, uh, bones, but I do. What did he say? But I do. Then he showed him his hands and his feet. The disciples were overcome with joy and amazement because it seemed too good to be true. Then Jesus said to them, you guys have anything to eat? And they said, and the Bible said, and then they gave him some fish tacos. Well, it doesn't say fish tacos, but it says they gave him some broiled fish. And the Bible says, and he took it and he ate it and they watched. You could touch his body. I'm not a spirit in that sense. You can touch my body and I can eat. When you die, leave this world, you have a body and you'll be able to eat and everything you do now, you'll still continue to do. It'd be a totally different dimension. Sunil, you can still sing. Whatever we've done, we will continue to do it. It, it will be a different dimension. The Bible is very clear about a new body, a new heaven, a new earth. All that's coming, but here Jesus does this. 
It's a new dimension, it, but it is a real dimension. You'll be able to eat. You'll be able to drink. You'll be able to go on. You'll be able to live your life, but it will be life. It won't just be people think we're going to go to heaven just going to sing songs to Jesus all day. That would be boring. I would think. I don't know. Just sing all. Come on. He made you for a purpose and a plan. That doesn't change. Think about it. You touch us. The Bible says Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. If Jesus showed up here right now and appeared to all of us, don't you think we'd probably radically change in our view of Jesus? If we walk up and say, okay, who wants to touch him? I know some guy, oh, I believe, I just I don't need to touch him. Stop it. You come run up here. Be the first one. Grab him and say, if we knew, grab his arms, this is really him. We'd walk out of those doors going, hey, nothing can move us. That's why nothing can move the early church. That's why you could kill them. Because they had seen him. They touched him. They heard him. After the resurrection. A real body, a real person eating real food. I don't understand it all, but that's what the Bible says. A new spiritual reality, a spiritual body. And when does this take place? Here's the other thought. It takes place the moment you believe. People think, when do you get eternal life? You get eternal life the moment you believe in Jesus. People say, oh, I'm going to have eternal life. One day I'll go to heaven. Eternal life. eternal life starts the moment you believe. The moment you believe, something happens inside of you. You go from dead to life where there's been guilt, there's forgiveness, there's change. Things that used to hold you in bondage can be set free from. Your whole life has radically changed. You've met Jesus Christ. We have hope for living. Things that used to enslave us no longer enslave us. Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and I'll give you a new mind. I'll take away your stubborn heart of stone and I will give you an obedient heart. So when you die, yes, we will die physically, but that would just make you spiritually stronger than ever. Are you with me? When you become a Christian, you become, you, you spiritually resurrected, but eventually you have physical resurrection also. That's what I'm saying. And that, just, just if I stop right there, I could stop there, but I'm not going to. But that it should be enough for all of us. So you know what? I'm good. This, this thing, this ain't made up. This is Jesus coming back in flesh and blood. And you can touch him. That, he said, that's what's going to happen to you. So I said, the point number two was you have to be a church of resurrected people. Because in our story, she says, now I know. Now I know what you're saying is true. Now I know the words you speak are from God. When she sees a resurrected life, here's my point. When people see the resurrected life in your life, then they know the message you have is true. And the more people, they, they look at people's lives and say, man, I know him before, I know him after, I, he was dead, now he's alive. You know what, I don't know about that church stuff, but you know what, hey, tell me what happened. And sometimes people are open, they're not open maybe to hear me preach, not at all, but they are open to hear you. What happened to you? What, what, what went on to you with your life? And now I know why, because they may not let me me the preaching, but they, the message comes out. Sooner or later, they realize, now I know it's true. Well, because you, you, these, all these resurrected people in the potter's house. 
And so you have the resurrected people. The more people know about the resurrected people, the more people become resurrected. Right? And it goes on from there. Resurrected people, people look at that and go, you know what, I don't, I don't agree with this or I don't understand that, but man, dude, I, I can't deny you, you're, radically, you're radically changed, man. The Bible says in John that one of the marks of you and I, you and I being radically changed is we will love other people. You will love other people. Let me just tell you something. When you, you're not going to get to heaven if you're a Christian full of hate and bitterness here this morning. There'll be no hate in, in heaven, trust me. No bitter, angry, hate, hateful. The Bible talks about for being forgiven by others and you forgiving other people. And the first thing that happens in someone that gives their life to Christ, I mean, really, and I'm sure you experience this, the first thing you want to do is just get right with people. Right? You just want to get right. You see, hey, I'm sorry I hurt you. What are you talking about? Well, five years ago, man, I, I said, that, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, I just got to get it right. They don't understand what you're doing, but God's at work. The Bible says in Romans, the Holy Spirit, God's love is shed abroad in our hearts. We've been changed. Likewise, quickly before I close, likewise, if there's no change, why would someone listen to your message? If there's no change, if you're no different, or if you witness to your, uh, someone at work and, and they hear it and they go, I had no idea you were a Christian. That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. I had no idea. You, you a believer? No way. Shouldn't be that way. But, and so if our life is not changed and we are not kinder and we're not more loving and we don't care more, then why would they want to listen to your message? You're no different than the guy next door to you. You're no different than the guy you work with. You're no different at all. You're just you. It's, your, it's, who, it's who you've always been. They're not going to listen to that message. But when the message, messenger has been changed, it's a whole new ballgame. Yeah, you ought to be more sensitive, more loving. Can you say amen? That's signs of resurrection life. And the last point. Can I get the last point? Give me two more minutes. Three. The last point is we have to be willing to lay our lives on other people's lives. The Bible says, then Elijah stretched himself upon the boy three times and he prayed, oh Lord, my God, restore this child to life. The word stretches means to stretch out. It means to extend. It means to go beyond measure. You know, no one, no one can make us extend ourselves to other people. But if we are going to bring life to people, it has to be life on life. We have to touch people. I know through COVID you couldn't do much, but now we're able to do a little bit more. We have to find a way to touch people. Notice what happens. The child gets sick. What does Elijah do? He brings him to his room. What are you saying, Pastor? He had room in his life for someone else. Not only did he have room in his life for someone else, he had room in his life for someone that has absolutely nothing to offer him. He's dead. You and I are going to bring life to people. We're going to have to touch people. And the people God wants us to touch are people that may have nothing to offer you. They're spiritually dead, but that's what we're called to do. We've got to lay our lives on other people. It's life on life. When I first got saved, Keith Nicely was uh, 
I came into church, Keith nicely kind of took me underneath his wings, and I know people work and all, I get all that stuff, but as much as possible, we were together. As much as possible, not always, you know. I was married, I got had kids, but we were always together. And I was always asking a million questions. He went on to be with the Lord. But it was life on life, and it seems like today, that element of life, one thing, let me, let me go back. One thing I don't, don't like about my condition today, my physical condition, my condition that I have, is I, I, I don't have no more energy, I don't have no more, something that's just not there. I can't do things I used to do, not even close to it, not even close. But one thing I hate about it is not being able to spend a bunch of time with people, especially during COVID. But if you and I are going to be effective for God, we have to find a way to find someone that needs our help. And life on life, you put your life on their life, your eyes and their eyes. You understand where they're coming from, but you touch them. And if we're all touching other people's lives, this church won't hold what God wants to do in this city. There's people that will listen to you that will never listen to me. They think I'm an undercover Fed agent. And if they act like it, if they think I am, then I play the part. Yeah. <laughs> Can't tell you. <laughs> Are you military? <laughs> you police officer? Can't tell you. <laughs> Gomer Pyle? Yeah, Gomer Pyle. <laughs> Some of you don't know what Gomer Pyle is before your time. Second Corinthians says he died for all people so that they would, should no longer live for themselves. But for the man who died for them, who's brought back to life for them there it is touch life on life I appreciate Lashar it has a Bible study Vince has a Bible study and she makes food and they fellowship afterwards no, you know no one asks her to do that she just does it That's, you know it's good about that I asked William the other day we were together and I said William how did you come to the church he said it all started that guy I witnessed to him at the other church. He came here. He said, oh, I remember I came once and you took me out to eat. That's when it all started. He said, and I said, what do you think? He said, I kept thinking for a while, what does this guy want? <laughs> so he told me, he said, I was, honestly, I wonder, what, what, why is he being so nice to me? What does he want? He bought me dinner. We went out a couple times. I kept thinking, it's coming. It's coming. What does he want? He can't just be that nice to me. He must want something. I said, you really thought that? He goes, yeah. Why wouldn't I? I said, well, it makes sense. You're in the world. That's, that's how the world thinks. But the point I'm making is just eating. And every time, just spend time with people. You know, isn't it interesting? All, Jesus gets all these people. What does, what does he do when he gets them all together? He feeds them. He gets all the people together. He goes, all right, Peter, James, get your carnage out. Break it out. Let's go. In fellowship, there's so many things that happen. And it doesn't mean you're always having these deep talks of God. You're talking about just life. Just life. Uh, how, how, how do I do this, man? And how do I do more loving to my wife? Or how, how do I help my kids? Or how can I stay safe one more day, Pastor? It could be simple things, but you go and you talk and you talk and you talk. The Bible says in Malachi, and they talked one to another often. And in that talk and in that fellowship, we grow stronger and stronger and stronger. Why don't you bow your heads this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. We have to be agents of resurrection. We have to be a church of resurrected people. And we have to be willing to lay our lives in other people's lives. Very quickly, you're a Christian in this place this morning, and you say, you know what, God, you're talking to me about my life. 
just quickly, you know what, God, just talking to me and some things in my heart that only you know about. Just raise your hand quickly. I'm not going to go very long. Yes, yes, yes. I see all these hands. Yes, 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 yes. I see all these hands. If we'd all just, I know we can't do it all the time, but we can do it sometimes, make our lives available. I wonder how many parents here this morning. I wonder how many people, fathers here this morning. I wonder how many young people here this morning just feel guilt and shame and regret. So I screwed up so bad, Pastor. You know, torment you in your mind. That's not God. Pastor, is this coming down on me because I did this? I've heard that so many times. I said, no, no. Jesus died on the cross for this. And maybe you're here this morning, you're a believer. It's, you know what, man, I got torment, Pastor, in my mind guilt and shame and regret I laugh but inside there's still a brokenness I want God to heal if that's you raise your hand quickly I see all these hands just raise your hand this father's here this morning they feel like you haven't lived up you just I blew it you didn't blow it no no you're in the presence of God you're in church this morning start from today start from today start from this moment say okay I'm moving on I'm looking I'm moving on and I'm not looking back I see all these hands, lift them up, just put them right back down. The most important thing this morning, you're in this place and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. You're listening to me or you're in the congregation, you say, I want to pray to receive Christ. Jesus said, if you receive me, you have eternal life the moment you get saved. And when you leave this life, you'll have life. And that's you, raise your hand this morning and say, I want to pray to give my life to Jesus. If that is you, raise your hand before I close. If you're watching me online, you say this prayer with me. You say, Dear Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I'm sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins. I accept you into my heart. I believe you died for me, and I believe you rose again on the third day. I surrender everything to you. Let's all stand. These altars are open. Just You can come and find a place to pray, social distance, but you come and find a place to pray before we dismiss this service this morning. Hey folks, I really hope this episode encouraged you to live a more purposeful and intelligent life. If it did bless you, would you share it with somebody who you love as well? Thanks again for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time.